welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect Podcast listeners. I'm honored to have one of the most interesting people I've ever met, Brian Esposito, as my guest today in studio on the Anti-Architect Podcast. Brian is the founder and CEO of Esposito Intellectual Enterprises, EIE. He is an award-winning serial entrepreneur and business leader celebrated for being a core part of the innovative team to build Nodal, the world's largest wireless network and ecosystem of connected devices, and ranked among the fastest growing private companies by Inc. 5000 for six consecutive years. With over 20 years of experience in high-profile executive roles involving complex business challenges and high-stakes decisions, Brian founded Esposito Intellectual Enterprises in New York in 2013. Wholly owned by Brian, EIE currently has 65 entities within it and over 150 joint ventures that have been accumulated around the world over the last 20 years. To date, there are over 25 industry focuses such as manufacturing, retail, hospitality, hotel development, restaurants, commercial real estate, liquor, which I like, that'd be cool, media, energy, TV and film, technology, cryptocurrencies, and NFTs, which we're going to talk a little bit about. Brian is a master networker, even in the age of COVID. When potential partners approach Brian for his help, he matches them with a firm in his network that will be most advantageous to them. He assists the partners in raising cash, building teams, and even connecting them with architects. Brian, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm uh, really looking forward to having this uh, conversation with you. Me as well, Christian. Thank you. Awesome. Like, Who is that guy? Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a cool guy. Hang out with him. Definitely a cool guy. <laughs> so I, I really mean it. You are one of the most interesting um, people that I've ever met. Um, um, Trey Seckes. <laughs> Love the Dos Seckes guy. That's right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Christian. Right back at you. Since we first met, I always admired and respected the hell out of you. So. Thank, thank you so much. I you. appreciate that. So the few reasons I wanted to have you and kind of bring you to my audience, um, uh, you know, your ability to kind of touch architecture and design in the real estate industry is is fascinating with all your connections and and you know full disclosure you've been great about kind of putting me and my firm forward on a lot of cool projects and there's so many others out there that you're connected with. Um, other reason is I you know you see the value of good design um, you know in growing all of your companies and brands like to me they're very intertwined. Um, you're a master of social media, uh, which I'm I'm always impressed and and want to learn more. I think that you know, you know myself and obviously credit to my team. Um, you know we're 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 pretty good at it too. But to me, you're like on another level. Um, and then you know you're you really have this knowledge of emerging technology. And so kind of keeping all that in mind, you know, as we as we talk today, um, you know, like I know my day-to-day -day job. I know what I do. When I get up in the morning, you know, I go to an office, I, you know, meet with a client, we design some spaces, we manage the construction process. It's kind of very defined. Um, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I try not to think about my world because that could be anxiety. Uh, I'm just driven to create value. So my accomplishment throughout the day is I have to find value and create value for what I built. And that's my motivator. And and it, it and my world is very on and off the plate. So I don't sit at a desk or look at an email full of things I got to get to because that's very overwhelming. That that means I'm also working 24-7. So something comes up, I connect to two people, they go out and do it. If I got to take care of a problem, I connect to two, three, four people and they go out and do it. So I'm just keeping this machine moving. Uh, and it's, it's exciting because there's always something new. Even the things that I send you, there's always something new that comes up that I believe has real value, not worth, not wasting anybody's time, not a strain on resources. 
And it's the idea of, okay, here's peanut butter and jelly, put it together, you got a delicious sandwich. It's just, it's so simple. Um, but I do rely heavily on great accounting, great legal, great compliance to make sure that there's accountability across all of these things and that everybody understands our main job is to have some productivity throughout the day. Um, there's no micromanagement. Every, everybody knows what they need to do. It's an exciting energy. You might be seeing this now with vapes. That's the type of energy that all these businesses need to have, just exciting, full of energy. There's going to be problems. There's problems all the time. You cannot avoid it. The, just try to learn how to prevent it. And if something comes up, quickly take care of it and keep that machine moving. Uh, so what do I do is you know, I just connect the right people, the right opportunities. And if there's a problem, I've, I loved being the go-to guy for most of my career. M many of the people that I've met that I built great relationships with that trust me, they reached out to me and I used to laugh when they had an issue. I said, if you're calling me, you really have nobody <laughs> left to call. And I'm, I was younger too. I was getting these calls from like older, very well-established people that their lawyers would say, you got to call Brian because he thinks differently. You got to call Brian. And, and that was that was nice. That, was, that felt made me feel like I had a purpose. And calling me for a problem, that's fun. I've done that most of my career or fixing my own problems. That's fun. But what I really love the value now is preventing the problem. So take my 20-something years of work, experiences, knowing what to look out for is more valuable than fixing something. So that's that's this next chapter of my life is there's no need for any more crazy gotcha moments or there's no need to partner with somebody when you know they're not a good person or they're going to add toxic toxicity to your life. So, um, you know, it's really controlled chaos, my world. It's, it's fun. It's exciting. There's so much going on, but it's not overwhelming. And it's all all really good people like yourself. It's just surrounding yourself with really good people. Are you so? I yeah. I kind of as you're describing that, I'm thinking of you as a quarterback in a sense, right? Like you're calling a lot of the shots, but you're connecting a lot of people. What um, you know? What are some of the companies that that you're invested in? And I, I guess with these companies, do you take ownership as part of them? Do you you know how do you how yep. do you make money out of them too? Because obviously you're yep. very successful in what you do. Um, you don't own 150 companies, but you have a hand in them, yes. right, in some way. So, yeah, this was 20 years of evolving. It was protecting my own world. That's what I had to build because I was often used 15 years I did this wrong. <laughs> I was used for my access, my, what did I think, my time, relationships, and I would just do it because I generally just want to help people. Someone would call me, I'm like, yeah, sure, go. Uh, I assumed I would be remembered and brought along on that journey, I've connected situations that became $100 billion situations and they've just, Brian who? It's a business amnesia term <laughs> I coined. Like it's, and I repeated that stupidly over and over and over again. And um, then I got into a terrible car accident in 2016 and my entire world fell apart. And I realized I was surrounded by all the wrong people. I realized me being last to eat, which I did with all my companies, if there's anything left at the end of the, of the year or the quarter, I typically reinvested it all back into the companies that I had at that time, or I took whatever I needed for my own needs. And foolishly, if I was first to eat and smart with my money, getting into the accident, I would have been able to sustain and have the resources to keep everything moving. But I'm glad that that didn't happen. I'm glad that I had to rebuild everything. Uh, because I learned how to value myself. So getting to the answer to your question, through the through the last five years is how do I value myself properly? How do I make sure people don't use me? And how do I make sure I'm part of every upside? So I don't care who calls me. I have a same set of principles and, and procedures. This is what we do. And depending on the company's needs, it's case by case, but I'm always part of the company. There's always some sort of value on me. And I have to be part of the management team. I'm not going to be an advisor not knowing what the hell you're doing or where the money's going or what kind of maneuvering the, the management's doing. If I'm not there with my eyes and my accounting firm and my legal firm there to make sure that my name is not at jeopardy, then I'm not getting involved. Uh, so all of these companies, now we're up to 85, over 85 companies, and they're wow. either uh, majority owned, very high equity owned, or they're new startups, projects that I just create. I also don't just give equity away to anybody anymore. A younger me was like, here's 5% for the lawyer. Here's my best friend. I grew up here's 10%. <laughs> They're not doing anything. I'm the one going to the bank, putting my line of credit uh, up for everything and and stupid. But 
not stupid because that's my heart. That's what I want to do. But in the business world, very stupid. So I tell people, <clears throat> even the companies I get involved in, they say, would you take 10%? I'm like, no. That's what are you doing? It's your company. I'm here to protect you. Why would you give me 10%? You're diluting yourself down. What if the company needs to raise money? Where do you go? I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. So I have to be consistent. And what's good about someone like me is I know both sides of the table. All my companies I started uh, that were mine, I know what it takes to be a startup. I know what it takes to be an entrepreneur. So I'm their cheerleader. I'm there to protect them. But I'm also there to make sure that they get bruised a little bit and they get beat up a little bit because they have to learn. That's the only way that you become a seasoned entrepreneur or, or leaders. You have to get beat up. You have to know how to survive. Yeah. And you need to know what to look out for. And the only way that you really learn that is get punched in the face by, by some business situation. And you'll say, I don't want that to happen again. And, and you just become a little bit stronger and smarter. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say for anyone listening, I mean, Brian, so when... I think, I don't know if it's the New York City side of me, but I, I come at things with sort of a, a skeptical look that, you know, wait, why is this person being so nice? So when you and I met, you know, and you're trying to essentially funnel work to, to, to me, um, my thought was, well, what is this all about? Like, what's in it for this guy? <laughs> you know, why, why is this guy being so nice? And then as we started working together, um, I realized, no, this is basically you connect all of your companies and all of those partners with people that you think do good work. And ultimately that benefits you if everyone is on the same team mm -hmm. and is marching towards the same goal, which is, you know, again, obviously I thank you for, for what you've you've been able to to help us with. But um I I, I get it. You know, it took a little while to understand. And it's funny you say about the giving away of the equity. And I I feel I'm 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 a lot like that, right? Where uh, you know, I so value people that you know want to work, whether it's at my firm or want to help in some way. That I want them to know that I value them. I appreciate and I, them. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate them, and I want to give them you know something right away, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's taken years to kind of pull that back yeah. and realize, no, wait a minute, hold on, I can't just give someone equity. I can't just give someone you know this for the sake of just giving it. Right? Yeah. We all have to kind of do it for the sake of the company ultimately in the end. Yeah, I just want to add. You, know, you added tremendous value to me too. So it was, it was, it is the credibility of what I wanted to get done and the power of your firm, Mancini, Duffy, obviously DPM. So I, there's so many things I wanted to do in your space with all these uh, other companies that I work with and all the whether they're beauty brands or fashion brands, restaurant F and B concepts. But I never had a go to amazing architect and design firm like yours that has the long-standing credibility you can operate across the country you've done international projects so i never had that piece so when we met like in my mind i'm like oh my god i go back 20 years to all <laughs> these different dots i'm like we could do this we could do this we could do this we could do this and uh and you know we're still figuring that out and i want to make sure i send you things that are well worth you and your team's time uh you know we talked we started with some smaller projects and I think we're working up to some bigger projects. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, some hotels now. Yeah, which is so great. It, it's it's great, and uh, and I love that um, I could do them with you, and you have a great team. So it it, it makes my life easier too. And it, it's the pie, right? It's the how much of that situation, not not necessarily money, but how much of the situation can we control? That's important to me because if I got some jerk over here that this pie has a slice over it, that jerk's gonna mess up this whole circle. Yeah. But if I can bring in your firm, I can bring in the banking, I can bring in the accounting, I can bring in all these strategic partners, I know these are all like-minded good people, that project's not gonna go sideways. And yeah. if it does, we're gonna work together as a team and figure it out. So I'm, I'm always trying to avoid, where's that little slice of vulnerability that's gonna turn this thing upside down? So that's that's where my mind is, it's always, strategizing, putting things together, but I want to put all of it together. <laughs> not for greed or not that I have like this control complex, but I want to see this project succeed. These are the people that I know can make it succeed. Right. So as far as, you know, working with architects and, you know, what, what opportunities do you see for technology um, 
that architects are either maybe starting to use or in your world as a, you know, I kind of consider you a technologist, right? You're really at the forefront of a lot of technologies that are out there. And we'll get into, you know, what are some of the companies mm -hmm. that you, you know, you, you help manage and, and, and advise uh, and, and own portions of as well. Um, but for an architect, you know, what, what are those technologies that, um, you know, that we should be thinking of? Yeah. Well, your firm was way ahead of the game on that too with your VR studio, mm -hmm. the toolbox. I'm not, tool belt. Yep, tool yep. belt, sorry. That's right. Edit that out, tool belt, toolbox. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, again, when I met you, it was refreshing for me to say, here's a younger guy doing great work that understands how to be future-proof, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Uh, you don't see that in architecture firms. You don't see the maneuvers that you've done and the investments that you made in those technologies and you knew how to protect the IP of those technologies. So that I was watching all that and saying this is this is, you know, who I want to work with. Uh, so, you know, some of the conversations we had two years ago was need an architect and design firm that understands the metaverse and where we're going with that. Mm -hmm. Because that's what a great flag you can put in the sand to really differentiate yourself from all the other firms. So, you know, I was pumped that you understood that and you put, you know, you put Ethereum in your wallet. Like this is somebody that you could, you could do it. That Those steps are intimidating by 70, 60, 50, even some 40 year old architects that just say, I'm, I'm going to just do what I do. Got my clients to do my design and build. I don't understand it. So I'm out. Mm -hmm. And it was cool to work with you and continue to work with you on. This is a place where brands are going to exist. This is a place where experiences are going to exist. So there are, you know, F and B restaurants or hotels or music concerts. So if your firm is designing these in the real life, you already have all the thousands of hours of design and work and know-how, and then you have all that data and you have the files digitally. It's so easy, in theory, to move that into the metaverse or Web 3.0, and you're properly bringing the brand and its how the brand wants to be experienced in real life. You're the right, well, our architects and, and, and interior designers are the right people and firms to bring it to the metaverse. So what is a F&B, food and beverage, hospitality experience in the metaverse? My, what I want to accomplish right, is right, different right. than what's <laughs> happening. So what I want to accomplish is you can't live 100% in the metaverse. You got to eat something real at some point <laughs> and you have to drink something real at some point. Maybe, I don't know, things are changing rapidly. So in my vision of it is how do you combine both worlds? And that's one of the things that BAPES is, is combining both worlds. So it's access, it's special privileges. So if a brand, um, let's just make up a brand, Chili's, Chili's puts their restaurant in the metaverse. They put in Sandbox, Somium Space, it's one of those other ones. And you know, right now they just plop it in there and, and maybe people just hang out around it. So maybe it's brand awareness, but I'm looking at it with, okay, if they buy, if they go experience it in the metaverse, how do we correlate it back mm -hmm. to, to their footprint of all their restaurants across the country? How do we connect the two where now the kid is excited to go to Chili's with their parents because they're gonna get a reward that they can then convert it to some sort of an avatar or some sort of a digital asset that they can put in their wallet and they can go experience it in the metaverse. So it's it's connecting and enhancing the experience in the real life and, and the VR world in that type of fashion. But it's gonna be, what I hate seeing now is brands just throwing their brand in there. Now it's a buzzword and it's just here. Yeah. News comes out, the brands in the metaverse doesn't do anything. But your Chili's analogy actually works for me. I, I, I'm be curious to hear feedback as people because that's that's the first time I've heard how the virtual and the real life could actually coexist. They have to. Yeah, I obviously think. they have to, but you hear a lot of this, right? You hear like, well, this is gonna be in the metaverse or this is gonna be, and, and it's like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah, like we don't live in the metaverse. Nothing follows it. Um, so I'll go back to a real life uh, press release and partnership Bapes put together last week. So why don't you explain yeah. what Bapes is? Because we referenced it a couple yeah. times. So yeah, I'm dropping some little. That's okay. I'm dropping some. I'm, I've been on calls for Bapes like <laughs> like Vietnam. Bapes, 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 Bapes. So it's uh, we launched. Uh, we quietly just launched a site, a Twitter, and a Discord 
eight or nine days ago. We had a full marketing plan budget in place to go to market now next week. So we had this giant plan uh, and it just went viral. <clears throat> the concept of BAPES or business apes, it's an NFT project. It is now the world's largest organic growing NFT project. Uh, and it's made up of the idea of a real NFT with true doxed. This term docs is you have full access to the team. It's a very vetted team that's running this thing. Great credibility, great experience, great management. And there's real utility behind this NFT. So we're dropping 10,000 beautifully designed um, NFT uh, pictures, however you want to call them, digital assets <laughs> that get dropped. Uh, Danal Sheik is our, our lead designer. We have uh, Disney, Pixar, 21st Century Fox designers. In my mind, most beautiful looking ones in the market right now. They're very cool. Compared yeah. to what you see. And hopefully somebody comes out with something better. I don't. I, I want to see this thing keep in hand, be, being involved. So uh, I'm trying to sum this up really easily for you. So it's the NFT gets dropped, money comes in. So it, it's all digital assets. It's done through a MetaMask wallet. That becomes the first MetaVestor fund. So we created a Meta fund of all of the resources that come into the NFT drop. Now, this fund, this Meta fund, and all these NFT holders will be able to participate in the journey of BAPES and projects that BAPES will get behind, MetaVest into. Okay. Are. I think I'm following. You're following where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> uh, MetaVest into will be um, Web 3.0. Uh, metaverse related projects, technology, startup companies. So those companies get submitted into the into BAPES, the entire community vote on it. So every NFT holder has has a vote, has a say. Whatever whatever project gets the most votes, that's the project we get behind. So it's not led from the top down, it's led from the whole community. Okay. So you have you're part of it. You're part of the journey. Now to support that project to ensure it has ultimate success. We accumulated 25, yourself included, of what I believe are the best business minds, um, ethical, grounded, humble, hardworking, good, good integrity, business people in all different industries to help support that startup. And everyone that was picked were, were very selectively picked, have a special purpose, and they're in their lane. So every one of them will have, you'll have direct access to, you have their world to, to, to push and support, their name attached to it, so it has credibility. And the idea is to de-risk it. If that's, that startup or that project has this amount of resources and this arsenal of seasoned entrepreneurs to push it forward, it should have a good chance to succeed it. So as that startup succeeds, it does great things, it'll spin out meta wards or meta vends okay. to all the NFT holders. So there's that, there's the, the value add side and then all Bapes NFT holders will have exclusive access into travel and luxury perks, private jets, unique experiences, everything that an NFT holder today, it's all about access. It's all about having the ability to go into somewhere that nobody else can. That's what gives it that utility. So we have that times a thousand. We have real business behind it. We have real tangible um, IP and situations. Um, like I said, the Star Jets one is is exciting to me because Ricky Sidimer, also a Bapes ambassador, which is what we call the, the business ambassadors, he is the um, CEO of Star Jets, a publicly traded uh, private aviation jet charter company. They have fifteen thousand fleets in their in their arsenal for resources and moving people around the world. <clears throat> now we're going to take like the Chili's analogy. <laughs> you have all these planes that he makes money on his business, his traditional business. Now with BAPES being the conduit to bring the IP of those planes or the digital uh, versions of those planes into the metaverse where BAPES NFT holders can experience it in the metaverse. Now most of those planes, if not all of them, are owned by athletes, entertainers, celebrities, yeah. business people. Now the utility of a BAPES NFT holder that wants to experience a StarJet's plane in the metaverse can sit in that, the theory is sit in that plane with the owner of that plane in, in the VR. So they can sit next to their favorite athlete. They can sit next to a singer or a musician or an entertainer or a business person. So there's that unique experience utility. Back to the real life, 
the ones that can, that own these NFTs, will have special perks, pricing, and experiences in real life on the Star Jets Jet Charter. So that's the way we want to combine the two. And, and, and part of that perk could also possibly be sitting with the owner of that jet as well in real life. So. So what other opportunities in the metaverse do you see, not just for, for a firm like mine, for just any architect, right? And even in the NFT world um, for architects, right? I mean, architects create, you know, I think about us, we, you know, we do, you know, everything we do is theoretically original, right? The yeah. renderings that we do are original, the, the, the diagrams we do are original. Are there opportunities for NFTs in that? Is there a real is there a real market for that, or does that not really does it not really matter? In this market, yeah, but I think in the long run, it's got to have some real utility behind it because you're talking about the actual plans, like that IP making an NFT one yeah. of one of the Sears Tower of one right. of one of exactly. A, yeah, uh, do not know. Okay, I, I've heard that a lot, and and I don't know everything. I make plenty of mistakes, but my <laughs> mind is like. Just push that down. Okay. Let's. There's other things we can go after. So then, what are the opportunities for architects in the metaverse itself? So, and I'll, I'll relate it to you, for you for knowing you and your example. Your list of clients that you that pay you your fee to design their brand in real life. They're trusting you with their brand and their brand experience. So you or other architects or design firms, you should be the go-to conduit to bring them into the metaverse. They already trusted you to build something in the real world. There's no reason why you're not the firm to bring them into that space. They're gonna pick somebody mm -hmm. and architects should be calling all their clients right now and saying, you know, we're, we're gonna be going into this channel. We wanna be your partner in that. We want to, We already designed your buildings. We designed your experiences in, a, in your box space, wherever, whatever it is. We designed your restaurants. There's no reason why we shouldn't be the ones designing your, your, your experience in the metaverse. How do you access the metaverse currently? And then how would you access it? You know, and you, you made reference to Web 3.0. Uh, well, right now, a lot of them are VR, mm -hmm. right? So that's the best experience. Somnium Space, which I'm part of, they have a web portal so you can get that 2D experience, which I think is pretty cool. But the, the ultimate experience is in VR and really being immersed in it. Uh, okay. And then also with Somnium Space, they made an investment into Tesla suit, which is this haptic suit. So you can actually feel hmm. what's going on in VR. So you know, it's starting to really become um, as close to real life as possible. I'm sure some other companies will even start to bring in some kind of weather related situations, <laughs> but uh, which also freaks me out a little bit. I want people to go outside and you know pick up a baseball once in a while and throw <laughs> it around. But if that's if that's a if that's no fun anymore, that's not not where we're going. Then I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> so, what, looking back, you know, what made you want to become an entrepreneur? I don't know. <laughs> Stupidity. <laughs> it's in my it's in my blood. When I was eight eight years old, I mean, my dad's got me in the warehouse. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to work with my dad. And I'm in, I'm in the back with all the employees filling little nail polish, polish bottles with his formula. I'm putting a little brush in, putting the cap on them. He's got me working. What, uh, did, your, what did your dad do? Uh, he built a big chain of beauty supply companies, sold them off to Milo, which is you know, a lot of the Sally stores that you see in, the, in New Jersey were his. And it was called Beauty Plus. Huh. And uh, then he, he was first to build a, a Fingermates nail care treatment brand. So nail hardeners, uh, nail thickeners, big, big big nail care products. So very successful in the beauty space. Uh, but I was working, you know, and then I was mowing, lawn, mowing our lawn. I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't remember playing. I played baseball. I remember that, but I was always working. So having that instilled since youth, that's just what I was, that's what I felt like I should do. Uh, so I don't care what the job is. I'll, I'll go and work. It's not about the money. It's about providing value and feeling some self-worth and feeling accomplished. That's that's why I always have to do something throughout the day to feel accomplished. And that could be connecting somebody. It could be you know, getting something to move from A to B. That's what my mind says I need to do. And once I do that, I feel good about the day. Okay. And so did you, had you, have you ever had an actual like regular job or have you always been doing your own thing? Always my own thing. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't think I could do a regular job. Some of the companies, it's very corporate culture. And I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys later. Like, I, <laughs> I get it. There's a need for that. Um, I like flowing energy 
I, I like life like a stream. If you put something in the middle of that stream, it's going to disrupt the flow. So I don't like to be in that moment, which, you know, I'm sorry for anybody listening. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's fascinating. I, I would bet there's a ton of people listening, you know, especially younger architects that, you know, want to go out on their own. But there is this construct that you must work in a certain manner, right? You graduate from school and then you work as an intern and then you work your way up. And then, you know, 40 years from now, you're, um, you're, you're cranking along and you're, you know, now you're, now you're finally an architect and you yeah. can do your thing. But the reality is, is you can go out, you know, at any point yeah. and, and be on your own. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're probably not going to be designing hotels on day one, um, but you can certainly, you know, and, and I, I think it's funny about my firm. I mentioned this on, on my podcast. I mentioned it on other podcasts. I think people are, some people are told me they're, 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 they think I'm crazy, but I always had, when I worked at a, at a large architecture firm, I always had side jobs yeah. and I encourage that for all of our employees. There's actually ones that come in and I say, you know, this would actually be a perfect side job for That's you. Cool, if yeah. I were you, I'd take this, you know, and not, and not involve us because Good for you. it's small enough. And that teaches, that teaches you everything you need to know when you take a side job in architecture, right? It teaches you, A, you got to manage your time because you got your day job. So yeah. you're going to manage that very, very efficiently. You got to design, you're dealing directly with the client. Most of the time you're taking somebody's apartment design, right? Then you got to figure out how to get it built. Then you got to hire a contractor. Then you got to do things that you've never done before right. as, a, as a young architect, like put together a, an invoice. Yeah, different level of respect <laughs> for everybody's job in exactly, that process. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Then you got to ask for money which is one of the hardest <laughs> things to do as an architect. And unfortunately, it seems to be a lot of my job, um, but I have a fantastic CFO. So she does, she's able to kind of come in there and, okay. and clean it up. But, um, but all of those kind of small little things that you do is really very entrepreneurial. And I don't think architects actually realize that when they're doing it, that they actually are doing a version of their own firm. Yeah. And it's great. Like the more you do that, I think it makes you, you know, let's call it better at your day job kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, on that point, you know, American Idol made it where anybody can be a pop star. And then pl uh, platforms like Instagram and TikTok allowed for this push in influencers and people finding new ways to follow their passion and dreams and monetize them. And in, in your field, certain things you need licenses for, you need schooling for. You, like, you can't just go say, I'm going to build a bridge today and build a bridge. <laughs> but you can do that in the metaverse. Yeah. So there are there are ways for aspiring architects, engineers, and designers to participate in in that construction of what they see and feel in a VR world. So it's cool to see a movement there. And it'd be great for a firm like yours to be in the way that you think, go take a side job. That's a great way to drive a movement into fueling people to, to you know, make make that a sexy field, make that yeah. something that there's a, there's a massive market for it in this new medium. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are what are some of the the companies that you are involved in that you can talk about, <laughs> and and you know what what are your roles in some of them? Yeah. Uh, we well, brought up Nodal, uh, so you gave that in the intro. Mm -hmm. uh, Nodal again, the world's largest wireless network. Uh, we didn't build a single cell tower or a single Wi-Fi station. It's software based. Uh, now it's some fantastic major partnerships with Fortune 1000 companies. And we, we gave everybody the ability to earn cryptocurrency. We made it so friction-free and easy. You download an app. It's called Nodal Cash. Like Pokemon Go, you walk around passively. And every time the phone passes an IoT device or a Bluetooth beacon broadcasting data, the phone pulls that little bit packet of data, sends it to the cloud. And for that, Nodal rewards you with Nodal Cash. So you earn cryptocurrency. Uh, we're replacing the entire model of stealing all of your information, taking everything about you and reselling it. Or if you're in the middle of an app and you're enjoying the experience and an ad flies by, so that monetization mechanism, it, it kills the user experience, uh, completely invades your privacy. So Nodal is replacing that. There's a lot of apps, maybe some on your phone that have Nodal built into it. And they're apps that are privacy focused. So it's apps that don't collect any user information. As Nodal believes, there's more value collecting data from the devices around your phone than your user profile. Hmm. Uh, so phenomenal business model. Uh, also a cryptocurrency company. We did a private sale, very successful. One of the great things about tokenization or having a crypto coin attached to your company is you can get the community to support that. 
and you don't have to go out to the market and uh, and sell equity. So if you can capitalize your company because the community wants to be part of it and they have this token now and util and have a utility behind it, you have the ability to raise money and still maintain strong equity position in your own company. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, any questions on that? Or no, that's fascinating. I had no idea that that's what that's what Nodal did. And actually, it seems like why wouldn't everybody be involved in that? You get yeah. money for you know just walking around and having your phone do all the work. It's it's amazing. That's and, the kind of business architects <laughs> need to get into. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's interesting, and it, it, asset tracking is a very big use case. So being able to put a low cost Bluetooth tag on shipping boxes, pallets. And Nodal's network being a global network, so when a phone passes by that tracker, it can let the shipper, the receiver, the asset owner know where that device, where that um, asset is. So asset tracking is a very big use case for Nodal. Uh, another one, which is an amazing company called Turncoin. Turncoin is a registered SEC digital security. Um, so a dear friend and colleague and partner in a lot of companies is Roel Campos. He was the previous commissioner of the SEC. Uh, so uh, love him, admire, and I bring him in to really a lot of these, I want to call them gray area, but ideas that I want to accomplish, companies that I want to work with that are doing something new, but banks don't know what it is, regulators don't know what it is. Uh, government you know, regions around the world don't know what it is. So we, we, I'm not the type of guy and say, oh, we're just going to go and do it and we'll fight and figure it out. No, we're going to do it right and be open and have that conversation or we're not going to do it at all. So Turncoin took five years to get this mechanism in place in over 100 countries. We went uh, public on Securitize. It's a Cape Town, Cape Town, South African company in July and uh, sitting just under a $15 billion valuation. What Turncoin does is we created the mechanism called Virtual Stacks. So it's a virtual stacks app or platform. And we allow people to buy virtual shares of people. So for example, if I believe in you and you're going to be the next biggest, hottest architect in the world, I will buy your virtual share. And <laughs> as you continue to do projects and your popularity grows and this podcast grows, your virtual share price goes up. Uh, we have the full investment and support of Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Randy Jackson, David Meltzer is also a dear friend, partner, and investor in, in a lot of my uh, my companies. Um, we we developed a really fascinating mechanism. So you can you can own essentially a part of Patrick Mahomes. Yes, but not his business. So it's okay. not a, not a piece of equity. Think of it like a digital playing card. He uh, so there's two models here for for virtual stacks. There is people that are very well established and have big audiences. They have all these millions of Twitter, Instagram, TikTok followers. They issue themselves on the virtual stacks app and they say, be part of my journey, buy a virtual share of me. Uh, so there's a massive liquidity event for the, for the celebrity. They keep 90% of it. The virtual stacks app keeps 10%. That flows up the Turncoin, that digital security. And that 100% of that 10% get distributed to all Turncoin holders. So it's 100% distribution model. Uh, so there's that model for you're well-established, you issue your shares to your fans, you make good money. There's a charity component if the celebrity has their, has a charity or something that they're fond of. Why I love it is the other 99.9% .9 of the world that want to be the next professional baseball player. They want to be a piano player. They want to be an artist. They can issue virtual shares of themselves. So think of going public as a person and a GoFundMe in mm -hmm. one, one uh, platform. They go to their parents, their teacher, their coaches, um, their friends, and say, "I'm, I'm going to be the next Tiger Woods by by a virtual share of me." <laughs> that allows them to go out, maybe get some golf lessons, maybe buy baseball cleats, take piano lessons, take singing lessons, and they don't have to give up their dream because we all give up our dream at some point, minus very small percentage of the world. So if this can be a platform where they can help monetize their dreams, fuel their passions, and keep them on a path to become what they really want to do without sacrificing and giving it up, that's why I'm really involved. That, that's, that's what I'm excited to be a, be a part of. That's very cool. So anyone can do that? Anybody. That's great. Yep. Very, very interesting. So I'm learning a ton here. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's so much to, to, to like kind of crack through. Yeah. We could talk about all the awful things. I'm all for that too. There's plenty plenty of awful moments. Well, yeah. So so I mean, obviously, you know, one of your strengths is 
connecting people, connecting companies, kind of putting all that. I guess what what are your weaknesses? You know, what are you what are you not good at? What have you learned? What lessons have you learned yeah. along the way? I'm too trusting to a fault. <laughs> That's my biggest weakness. I think everybody's inherently good, and I and I have this awful urge to want to help people. Um, and sometimes I hate that about me, but <laughs> that's who I am. And uh, that's everybody has vulnerabilities. Um, but I try to I try to evolve and fix the ones that I can fix. But that's an interesting process because you can't fix things that it's in your DNA. And I think my personality, my demeanor, how I speak with people, how we connect, I can't mess with that. So some things I just chalk it up. This is who I am. I'm going to get bit here somewhere, but this is who I am. I can't change all of me, but I can be smarter. Again, back to preventing problems. I can sniff out people that I believe are going to do me wrong. Or I can sniff, sniff out situations that I believe are no good and just avoid them, which is also hard for me. Like I don't like saying no to people. I've gotten a lot better at it. Sometimes I laugh when, when I really <laughs> feel it. I'm like, goodbye. Bye, Felicia. Get out of here. So I really... And then I hang up. I'm like, oh, I'm really proud of myself. I wouldn't have done that five years ago. I wouldn't have done that 20 years ago. Uh, so that's definitely a weakness of mine. Um, and maybe now I need to be very cautious of time constraints because there's a lot going on. And I have a model that can really scale, but we have so many special projects that I think I got to make sure that they always get my full attention. And I, you, know, you hit a point where you start to dilute yourself. So I, I want to make sure that I'm conscious of, of that. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, you, you and I are involved in um, doing the design on a hotel brand, and um, you know, I'll, I'll, you join those meetings, right? You know, yeah. regularly, um, which I'm always impressed by, right? And you listen in, and and sometimes there's questions that are for you, but you know, as that brand continues to grow and do more locations, it's going to be impossible for you to be yeah. on every call for that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's going to be impossible for me to be on every call. That's why we have you know teams and and employees. So how, I guess. You know, in terms of the, how do you find these companies, or or are some of these your idea, and then you 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 put everybody together, or are these people that you're, you know, are you constantly researching companies, mm -hmm. and then you're saying, hey, I want to invest? No, unless I see something crazy, and and my investment model is much different than other people's models. So right now, a lot of my introductions came from <clears throat> legal. They have a client; they need my help. They know my model. They know how I work. So there's no they they know only introduce me to people that understand my model. Same thing for the accounting. My banking partners really love me because they'll send me a client that I, I'll go back a little bit. I love dormant assets. I love companies that are in disarray because mm -hmm. I can just go in there and be like, "This is awesome," and they're they're in a corner in a fetal position. I'm like, "No, this is great. You're in a great position. Everybody just abandon you. You have a, we can start fresh. We can clean house here. You're sitting with so much IP." or some kind of asset. And then we look at what I have and say, look, we could put this here. We could put that there. You're in business. You're making money. All these people are gone now. Mm -hmm. You got a clean, beautiful business and don't mess it up again. <laughs> like, uh, so I don't, unless I see something crazy special, I don't solicit, I don't solicit business. And then my model is I don't give you a dime until at least 90 days later. I'm like, I'm there working with you. I don't open up any of our banking partners. I don't open up anything for you unless I am there working with you. You better show me where all the bodies are buried. I want to know the ugly truth. I don't care how ugly it is. Just tell me everything. I want to meet everybody. A lot of these companies have all the, this deck with 20 advisors on them. None of them do anything. They yeah. all have these advisory agreements. That I'm like, that's got to go. Or they have 30 days to, to give you some give you some meat. They got to give you some deal. They got to give you something or they got to go or yeah. I'm not getting involved. And these people are usually grateful for that because they want to do that, but they don't have the backbone to do it. They don't have the confidence. I shouldn't say backbone. They just don't have the, the, the entrepreneur confidence that they hit a point where they no longer allow themselves to be taken advantage of. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about social media a bit. Um, how did you, you know, you've been on social media, I assume, from the beginning. Yeah. Um, how did you, how did you create such a following, uh, behind what you do? And then what, what's your rigor, uh, in terms of posting and, and how, how do you establish all of that? Yeah. Um, social media back in the day, <laughs> I, uh, created a company called activity right when Facebook was two years old. 
an A giant Q activity. So I had this uh, suite of software products with a giant Q. I had the first Venmo in 2007 called Payback with a giant Q because I knew there was a massive micro lending economy. No bank would give me a license and no lawyer would give me anything, but I was able to get the rights to Wimpy from Popeye because I used his famous tagline, I'll gladly pay you back on Tuesday for a hamburger today. So I had this awesome company and I learned really quickly after that was I can't do what I want to do in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And that sounds obnoxious, but I need to be around the world. I used to pull what I thought were the best talent from for what I wanted to do in a, such a small circle and they were great people, but the things that I wanted to do, these I couldn't do it. Like if I had if I took if I was living in Silicon Valley and I went to all these people and with Payback, we had the first banking app in the iPhone store. Still couldn't get a banking license to say that that's legal. Uh, but if I was there with that, I would have it would have just been like fish in a barrel. I would have been able to get all the resources I need. I would have been able to find a bank like Silicon Valley Bank to say, we got you, let's go. Uh, so I, I paused that. Tech is still there. I still think it's better than Venmo. And I want to bring that back into some of the things that we're doing, doing today. Uh, back to social media. So I was building payback. Then I said, okay, next thing is activity. And I didn't know what to call it, but I'm like, why are we paying, why we, why are advertising, advertisers paying major, major stars, millions and millions of dollars when they post something on Facebook? And I, I said, it's broken. They have 10 million followers and 100,000 likes. It just, something's wrong here. This was before they started doing all their paid, you know, paid to play type of things. And I said, there's somebody in Norway that has 1,000 followers and 800 people like it. That's the guy that's got power. Mm -hmm. And I created this platform of how do you rank amongst your friends? How do you rank amongst all of the Facebook community? I had this leaderboard. And, that, and then taking that model to the advertisers and saying, take your advertising budget, divide it by 100, and get all these people. Give them your Coca-Cola brand. Put them in Air Jordans. Didn't know what the hell I was doing, but that was influencers. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm always too freaking soon. So then back to now my following on Instagram, I mean on LinkedIn, I don't use Facebook, I don't use Instagram. So people say, how do you have all this time? Why well, I'm not wasting my time there and getting caught up in that nonsense. I'm utilizing my time on LinkedIn and Twitter. Both of those platforms are very important for a lot of the businesses that we have, whether it's the music industry for Twitter, the NFT industry is massive for Twitter, Crypto, that's saving Twitter. Once politic tweets disappeared, it was crypto, mm. NFT, and, and music and stocks. That's that's keeping Twitter very relevant. Mm. Uh, so and and I try to always be consistent in my messaging and and I try to only post things that I think has real value. So there's no fluff there. It's things. Well, you know, it might be just therapeutic for me. I might just do it because I I need a moment to just do something for myself, but I think there's some value in there. Definitely, yeah, no, your, your LinkedIn has a lot of information on it, which Thank is, you. you know, it's more robust than most websites, right? It, it's all kind of all there. How can, and this is a tough question probably to answer, but how can an architect become an influencer in the social media world? Any thoughts around that? Well, you have a lot of content. Like if you, if you even that fast filming, I love seeing that, as high speed filming, whatever mm -hmm. they call, it. I love seeing that when you're just uh, uh, oh, time lapse, time lapse. Thank you. When a space is being designed and developed and then finished, there's mm -hmm. so much content in that process that if you were even with the designers in the office and seeing that progression, that's that's great content that that somebody would love to watch. And you know, it it's it's that's what I would do. I would be filming that process, you know, making sure you don't have any um liability issues don't film something where there's a wire <laughs> that shouldn't be there like you got to be very conscious about getting yourself caught in a situation as an architect but i would i would definitely do that and i would i would work with the brands or whoever your client is to co-promote together like if you're going to go into a, a design development partnership with anybody even if it's a, a you know an h&r block or if it's a giant hotel can we work together and promote my name with your name and we built this together yeah um there's yeah, not much of that goes on really in the architecture world mm -hmm. right you you kind of you're you, most of the time even for architects they're left out of the story right i mean yeah. there are so many times where we go back we have our, our pr people go back and you know go to the new york times and say hey by the way did you know that this building was designed by this company or um you know hey that rendering is ours can mm -hmm. we get some sort of credit for it 
but it's always kind of you know late to the game right? yeah. for whatever reason architects don't push that advertising side of it which has always been fascinating to me well i think uh, you guys do it because you love the field yeah absolutely yeah, yeah we, we yeah. do it for the love yeah yeah which is good and bad right i mean you kind of i would uh the other thing especially in your you have a powerhouse in your building um one of our companies that was they have 200 people in their headquarters they'd post something and every time they posted i got infuriated so i, I had to go to the company get everybody together I said, everybody gets on a Telegram, WhatsApp, whatever you guys like to use over here. Everybody gets in that chat right now. And when the company posts something, every one of you is going to like it, comment it, and reshare. And that's free. You're paying all of these people to be there and support the brand and be part of the brand. And not one of you is contributing to the brand online. Shame on all of you because you're doing the company dis disservice. And at the end of the day, if the company doesn't succeed, then you're doing yourself a disservice because if it, if it fails, yeah. you're gone. And if it fails and you try to find another job, it's very difficult. Or if you get fired because it's not making money, it's very difficult for you. So you, it takes a second to like something. Yeah. But but the company has to... It, that's I'm smiling at our, <laughs> at our, at our, our that, colleagues and brand groupies it. because, you know, they... <laughs> They're they're always telling us that on the uh, you know yeah, to, to make to it like easy stuff. though I, I, I'm the worst at it you know I'm well like, oh, maybe this person will think <laughs> I'm stalking them if I like their stuff you know so I, I shy away the, uh, the you got to make it as easy as possible I like the idea of a, of a group headquartered uh, message in WhatsApp I think Telegram is easiest for this type of stuff put everybody in there here's our post go like it make it at like 11 a.m. every morning we're gonna post something you got to like it you got to share it you got to comment it. Awesome. That's part of the job description. It's not a big deal. Plus, it gets them away from their work. They can go and they can fool around on the on the phone for a little bit. Yeah, that's no, all all good stuff. So, a couple more just uh, questions to wrap up. Um, I guess you know what what would you want your legacy to be with all of these companies and being an entrepreneur from you know the the minute you you know could work. Mm -hmm. You know what 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 do you want your legacy to be? I definitely want to leave a positive mark on this world. It's not a Forbes list of of, of wealth. That's not interest to me. It's that I, I went after a passion or passions of mine. I did it, and then it's and it's locked in the history somewhere. Now it's foolish for me to say that someone's going to say my name a hundred years after I go, but I'd like. I'd like to be remembered at some point for X amount of time for doing something that was positively impactful. Nice, that's a great way. Great way of answering that. Um, I, I think of of all the shows we've done, you know, this one is definitely going to need show notes because I have learned so much well, and there's you. so Me much too. information there. Glad it's recorded because I don't know anything I just said. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll document <laughs> it all for you. So, um, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to you'd like to talk about? Uh, you want to talk about EV Hotel a little bit? Yeah, sure. I don't know if you wanted to bring oh, that up. Of course. Up. Yeah. I mean, so what? Is... What? I mean, we're we're the architect for EV Hotel, which is a new brand hotel. Um, Ken Patel is the founder, um, and you know, from from our perspective, I mean, we're we're taking uh, several sites that he's got going. It, Ken's a longstanding uh, hotel. A person in the hotel hospitality world has managed many many hotels, and I spent some time with him, and he. Uh, you know, is really educated in Abu Dhabi and comes from that very hospitality focused environment where they are, you know, they they move at hyper speed, yeah. right? There's no, they don't wait around for 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 things to be vetted. They just move. That's what I like about Ken is that you know we're designing and he's ready to go. You know, his, <laughs> his thing is, are you done yet? And like, no, we just started. What are you talking about? <laughs> so it is a balance of the the real world and yeah. and what's interesting about him is you know he's got a crypto component to his uh, to his hotel brand um, with NFTs and we're so this is going to be really the first hotel where. Just like your Chili's example, which yeah. now I'm going to use for the rest of my <laughs> life, is a combination of you know the real world. Obviously, it is a built place where people sleep at night and eat and and uh, and and work or whatever they may do in a in a hotel. And then there is the crypto side of it and the yeah. NFT side of it, which is which is fascinating. You're welcome to kind of talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So uh, a mutual colleague. Um... Stephanie Malik, who I love and adore, one of the best crisis management professionals in the world. She's 
work with some of the biggest CEOs and businesses, but just a phenomenal human being. We became fast friends and um, you should be on her show, by the way. So she's, she, would, she would love to have you. So we became fast friends and she said, you gotta, you gotta talk to Ken Patel. He's designing an, a pretty interesting hotel concept. I have been talking to the, think of the biggest hotel flags. We had calls with a few yeah. of them where I, I said, we gotta do this crypto hotel concept and most important piece of the crypto hotel, this was before NFTs really took off, was get rid of that ballroom, get rid of that burden, and take that floor and turn it into a New York Stock Exchange or Chicago Mercantile Exchange trading floor. And by the way, I have the guys that ran the Chicago Merc for the last 30 years. They have the know-how, they have the technology. Fred Greed, the CEO of CDX, which is Chicago Digital Holdings. I wanna take that concept into the crypto world and into a hotel environment for many, many reasons. And we'll be announcing a lot of these reasons, so I don't wanna give away too much, but one of the key reasons I wanted to do that was I wanted the media component like CNBC or Bloomberg on that floor. I want these crypto companies to have a seat on the exchange, much like the New York Stock Exchange. And I need, to, I need people that are 80, 70, 60, 50, again, some 40s, to understand that crypto is another type of holdings in their portfolio. And the only way that those people are gonna get it is if they see it, much like people trading commodities, much like people on the floor trading stocks, if they could see that something that they're used to, they'll get involved. They'll start to allocate a, 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 a percentage of their portfolio. But until they can say that's not, not real, if there's an actual floor, there's actually companies there that have a seat, there's activity, there's a market, and there's liquidity, which is key, uh, that's, what I think is missing in, in the crypto world and the crypto exchange world. And what other, the other thing that freaks me out are the kids, sorry, I was a kid once, but the kids that are owning and managing these exchanges and moving billions and billions and billions of dollars, it scares the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. I, I want seasoned professionals like Fred, um, his team, Patrick and Kevin, where they, they work with regu regulatory, they understand security. Your firm knows how to design and build these floors, which is why another reason you know, light bulb went off when we started talking, like I need your firm here to do this. Um, and they know how to protect assets and people's money and they know how to create markets. These other, these other exchanges, they freak me out for that reason. You need some traditional um, uh, professionals that understand this space. Yeah. And I hate when people say we're gonna disrupt banking, we're gonna disrupt governments, we're gonna disrupt stock market. No, I learned that 10 years ago when I said I'm gonna disrupt the music industry and I got smacked every which way from <laughs> Sunday from labels to management to promoters. And I said, okay, I get it, I get it. Here's my tech. How can we make money all together? How can we all play together? And that's that's the same thing I think applies to the world that we live in as it relates to crypto, NFTs too, what we're doing. We're not gonna disrupt anything. Mm -hmm. We're gonna work with all the all the regulatory. Here's what we're doing. If something's wrong, we're not gonna do it. Or if we can do it, we'll, can, how far can we go? Uh, so that's why I'm excited about the EV Hotel. Ken's a phenomenal, phenomenal chairman and CEO. Glad that you jumped on that project. And uh, we have a, a big pipeline of people that want these. So there'll be EV Hotel conversions, so flags that are out in the market that want an EV Hotel brand. Think of the most high-tech brands, uh, IoT smart devices everywhere called EV Smart. You have the crypto component where you can book rooms with crypto. The NFT component, which will help the profitability of those hotels. So if a typical room was $300, but now it has an exclusive Patrick Mahomes, for example, NFT associated with it. Maybe it's $3,000, maybe it's $30,000. I mean, the market is, is insane right now. But I want uh, the whole reason why I teamed up with Ken was to create this concept that I wanted to do for a very long time. I wanted to add to his already really good vision. And I want these buildings to be the most profitable hotel concept ever created. And then the cash flows from that hotel, I want that to be the money to build the next hotel, sure. not build a hotel. Oh, we got to wait and we got to go raise a fund or we got to try to get new private. That I hate anything. Again, back to the stream. Don't kill the flow of that water. Let's do what we can. Let's monetize this asset and let's make sure we can leverage it to continue to build, build the brand. Yeah, right on. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun so far that project so it's only going up from there so Brian I can't thank you enough for for taking the time to be on this podcast um, you know thank you for sharing your story your business your you know your insights thank you <clears throat> um, I've learned a lot 
Um, <clears throat> you know, where can our audience find, you know, more information about you? I know there's yeah. like a laundry list. We talked about it, so I don't want to screw it up. So you, you no, tell no, it's, everybody. It's pretty easy. LinkedIn, Brian J. Esposito. Uh, Twitter, same thing, Brian J. Esposito. The corporate site's eie.rocks, so eie.rocks. Uh, I don't go on Facebook. I don't go on Instagram. I don't go on TikTok, Triller. But you're on go, Discord. Go bananas. I'm on Discord for private messages only to Got help it. support the Babes community. Otherwise, those Discord channels, I get, I need a map. I get lost in there. Yeah, that's too bad because I was going to ask you all about Discord. But <laughs> not the yeah. guy. Not the guy for that. <laughs> uh, so I'm always accessible. I get back to everybody as quickly as I can, and, and I appreciate being on this great show. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Christian.